Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. It's great to be with you on this Wednesday. Bob Buner's in the house. Good to see you, Steve. Good to see you. Sean Carey's in the house. Awesome to see both of you guys. And. Last but not least, uh, Kyle Alexander, who, by the way, is one of the great guys on the planet. Mm-hmm. Really is. Awesome guy. We're so lucky we have him. And he can stop by to say hi. Same story. We're talking about what's going on with his life and the whole deal. Asking me about tonight. And, right. of course, who comes bursting in to let us know what the results were of the Danville Ward 82 election. <laughs> yep. There's a news slash Steve from the Montour County Board of Elections. Kevin uh, had seven votes out of a, a potential 4,000 that could have been cast, Yeah, finished first. None of the above came in second with four, and there were some write-ins for Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck um, that had to have been a groundswell of support for them. They might have carried the day. How many of the seven live on A Street? Um, <laughs> well, well, three of them live in, the, in one house, yeah. and, and two of them received cash. Yes. <laughs> So, yes, so somewhere there's four people walking around in Danville that may have been responsible for this, um, whatever you want to call it. Muse? So, so once again, (laughs) the conversation turned completely to one person. Why doesn't that not surprise me at all? In the end, it was all about him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve, you're um, on the road today. I'm on the road today. We're going to Scranton eventually. I've already Bob's already given me directions as to what to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> You're good to go. You're covered. He's well, a, he can't go up Route 11 uh, from uh, Northumberland to Danville, which is the shortcut to Scranton. Well, the last time I was here, actually the next to last time, because obviously I came back for the golf tournament the next day. Right. When we went to Penn's Tavern on the 7th of May. 15 days ago. What was the issue? Uh, let's see. North, uh, oh, a little south of the... Uh, yeah. South of the... Rock slide. Uh, yeah, the rock slide, uh, south of the bridge. So, yes. the rock slide. So, we had to go through Sunbury on 61, pick up 890, go all the way around, come down Brush Valley Road, and then get back onto 147, get to Penn's Tavern. Right. Turned out to be an awesome night. It was great. Tom and everybody... Awesome. Tom, Liz, the whole, everything. So now I'm back 15 days later. I want to get to 80. Mudslide. Is it a mudslide? <laughs> yeah, it's a, and rock slide and mud, close the road. Mudslide, rock slide, but this time on what, 11? Route 11 North. Yeah. Is it me? No. No. Well, no, some say I think co- it is. Some say <laughs> a coincidence, others say fate. Uh, so, what's happening up in Scranton tonight, Steve? Greater Scranton chapter uh, is having uh, its annual dinners, their 41st annual dinner. And this will be the 20th consecutive appearance I've made at that dinner. 
So I've done almost half of them. Last year was James Franklin. This year, the guest list is Carolyn Keeger, the new women's basketball coach, Jay Paterno, and Dr. Wayne Sebastianelli. They'll all be speaking. And our good friend Donnie Collins oh, sure. from the Scranton Times-Tribune is being honored as the alumnus of the year up there. So that's terrific. That's what they're doing tonight at Fiorelli. So it'll start at 7.30. Based on what Google Maps is telling me there, I'll... I should be on time. <laughs> You'll be good. <laughs> Unless there's another rock slide somewhere along Interstate uh, 80. Believe me, anything's possible. It's too bad we weren't as close to uh, Hughesville. You could take 118 all the way I out know. to the back yeah. mountain. That, that's Beautiful a nice little ride. Yeah. I yeah. took that road for years because, remember, the first two years I went to college at Penn State, it was at Penn State Wilkesbury. Yeah. And that was in the that's in the back mountain area. Yeah, no, Bob knows that. Mountain. Yeah, Bob, yeah. Uh, Bob knows that road real well. So too. I go out past Harvey's Lake. Yeah. Absolutely, Ricketts yeah. Glen State Ricketts Park. Ricketts Glen State Park, up and down, up <laughs> and down, up and down, <laughs> until you get to Hughesville. And hey. and the the best thing you can do is have your deer avoidance monitor on the hood. Oh, I may, uh, believe me, I had a couple of uh, friends in college who. Unfortunately, had the run-in with a with a deer. Not good. No. Uh, so yeah, I know the 118 way very well. Uh, in fact, I, I was talking to the McGoverns, you know, because Connor McGovern, Nick Yuri, running back, they're both Lake Lehman High School graduates. They just retired Connor's number at Lake Lehman High School, and Connor's dad is, I think, he's the superintendent of schools up there. I was telling you, the first ever play-by-play I ever did in my life was basketball, the Penn State Wilkesbury campus against Allentown Business School. And the game was, it was December 8th, 1977 at Lake Lehman High School. Wow, what a... There should be a plaque there, Steve, for that. I think Connor McGovern probably had more impact there than I did. <laughs> and the uh, that's the first one I ever did. And I remember Penn State Wilkesbury won. They scored over 100 points, and our player of the game was a guy named Bernie Janowski, who had 32 points. So, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember it. Uh, well, you ought to drive by there on the way to Scranton tonight for old time's sake. Uh, I, last time I was there, was I delivered a commencement speech. Wow. Uh, there. It was, it was 2011, May 2011, and I delivered the commencement speech. It's the last time I've, I've been in that area. Yeah. So. Well, on your way to Scranton, will you be stopping in at the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company? Just so you know. Okay. There'll be no stopping anywhere. <laughs> I've got an hour and 49 minutes on my Google thing here, which means I'm, that means I'm only getting there with 40 minutes to spare. So there'll okay. be no stopping in to see Michael and the gang exactly. <laughs> from the office Boom. over in Scranton. Straight shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I, I have a funny feeling I'll be slowing down <laughs> a couple times along the way. I think Interstate 81 in the Wilkes-Barre is a challenge. Yeah, well, I just did this. I mean, I just you did came coming back from the from, Penn State yeah. uh, lacrosse game on Sunday. Yeah, so I just did this, uh, and then I'm not making another one of these until August. I've got four in August. So vacay or a spikes trip? 
Well, no, I, I, I'm going to speak in York. Oh, I thought you meant like here. making I'm that a, trip up to the Connecticut. Here. I mean, okay. I'm speak here because Jamie and I were talking about that today. Oh, you're speaking tour, yeah. Uh, Harrisburg, and then Jack and I are doing uh, the Duquesne Club speaking engagement in Pittsburgh. A tradition unlike any other. And that's a highbrow place, the old Duquesne Club downtown Pittsburgh. It's Bob, it reeks of elegance. Bob, it's amazing when you stand up in front of the group <laughs> and you glance around the room. And before you even say a word, you think to yourself, wow, I'm the poorest dude here. Yeah. Yeah. When in the room there's a couple melons, a few scaifs, a few uh, Carnegies. I'm thinking, these people want to hear what I have to say? Are you kidding me? I I want to hear what you have to say. Can can you give me some stock tips along the way? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've told Jack that before. I'll lean over. We're the poorest guys here. Yeah. No question about it. The Duquesne Club is just elegant par excellence. They're great people. They're great people. And And they ask great questions, and we have a good time at it. It really, it's a lot of fun. But you do realize that that on the ladder of financial success in life, there are a few rungs up for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's called trust fund, Steve. And it's not just it's not just a few rungs. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the top of the ladder. <laughs> it's like it's like looking at a at a fireman's carnival ladder. Okay. <laughs> Growth stock mutual funds. Help well, me out here. here Which what you have to say about football? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even the wait staff, I think, is it makes more money. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that'll be we'll be at uh, Fiorelli's tonight up in Peckville, which is just north of Scranton. That's what do you expect the uh, new women's basketball coach to say about things at State College and Penn State? What do I expect? Yeah, uh, coming from where she came from, you know, to Pennsylvania. Well, she is. First of all, she's a dynamic personality who will be able to captivate the room very quickly. Because of her personality and her style of play, she's going to get people to buy tickets there. And the style of play is she's a ninety-foot four, uh, a ninety-four foot coach. She wants to get you want. She wants her teams to be in your grill defensively, and then she wants to go, 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 go offensively. Uh, people are going to gravitate toward that, and when they hear her talk about her vision for the program. They're going to be impressed with it because she has that kind of personality. The next part is, too, she must think Penn State is a pretty special place to do something like this because she's leaving her alma mater to do this. Normally, it is the other way around. It is Jamie Dixon leaving Pitt to go to TCU, for example. Sure. Even though Pitt had already... Again, you've got to know who you are, and I've talked about this with Pitt many times with basketball. The complaint about Jamie Dixon was, well, look, he can't get us past the Sweet 16. Well, how do you feel about that now? Yeah. How do you feel about the Sweet 16 now without him? All right, so now let's get back to her. She's leaving her alma mater because of the great potential she sees at Penn State, that she can take Penn State to another level and has the ability to take it further than maybe she could with the resources compared to Marquette. 
Yeah. And Marquette's made the NCAAs three straight years. She's won Big East championships. But I think she sees an even greater path here at Penn State as to what she can do with it based on talent level, resources, and so forth. Uh, and I think that's going to come out in the speech tonight as to w- when she talks to everybody. And look, she she has that ability. She relates easily. She is mm-hmm. not somebody that's shy. She's she's also the ult- ultimate competitor. I mean, she's talking about trying to run after punts in Beaver Stadium, you know, at halftime. Yeah. Had to her to catch the darn thing. Yeah. Um, it's she had to look at the Penn State wrestling program and the Penn State lacrosse program and see what relatively new co- coaches could do in a pretty rather uh, quick timetable. Well, Kale Sanderson. Um, he leaves Iowa State. Same story. He leaves his album Absolutely. to come to Penn State. And Cale Sanderson leaves Iowa State because he looks at Penn State and says, I can get where I need to go. And it, it's, that's kind of a bad way of putting it because of his personality because he's not really about himself. Okay? That's... that's but I think people... I'm t- saying that in a general sense here, mm-hmm. not about Cale personally. But... National championships are a distinct possibility on a year-in and year-out basis by taking the Penn State job. Look at the level of talent in Pennsylvania in high school wrestling. You've got it all here in your backyard. And when you're looking at one-third, not quite, but not quite a third, but maybe 25 to 33 percent, somewhere in that range, of Division One wrestling programs are in this state. Hey, Bloomsburg's Division One, Edinburgh's Division One, Pitt is the Lock Haven, uh, Bob, uh, or, yeah, yeah. Lock Haven, Lehigh. I mean, you, you've got all these schools, Clarion. I mean, they're all Division One in the state. There's 75, 76 Division One wrestling programs. Well, yeah, part of that is that Pennsylvania has the ability to feed these programs. Now, they're not all, obviously, from Pennsylvania. Bo Nichols from Texas. Yeah. Okay. They have Certainly, they've had great success recruiting in New Jersey. But it's all within that radius that you can recruit. Now you look at Carolyn Keeger. I think it's, you know, you have some really good high school girls basketball talent in the state. But you do have to expand out. A bit more. It's like men's basketballs had to expand out a bit more. Yeah, you do get a, you know, in men's basketball, a Lonnie Walker and Redding comes along once in a while. Yeah. But between essentially the Ohio border and that corridor in southeastern Pennsylvania, the number of power five, power five basketball talent isn't there in the state for the most part. Cam, I think I want to say Cam Reddish is from Norristown, but to me that's down in the corridor. Yeah, that really counts as Philly. Yeah, so that's down in that corridor down there, and that's where you have to go to. You know, that corridor between Virginia, Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia into Jersey. That's about the area that Penn State has to do a good job of consistently mining. Now, for women's basketball. They're probably you can go with more Pennsylvania kids probably along the way. Wrestling, obviously, Kale's going for the best of the best, but there's a lot of great Pennsylvania yeah. And now the interesting thing about that is the second best wrestlers in Pennsylvania end up in Iowa, and the first team comes to, to Penn State yeah. now. 
Yeah. It's so, it's uh, it, uh, Penn State wrestling is a lot like UCLA basketball in the uh, in the '60s and '70s. Freshmen were not eligible to play in the '60s. The UCLA national basket the UCLA national championship team got its tails beaten every single day by the freshmen led by a guy named Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Power Memorial High School. They couldn't wait for him to go to the varsity. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the way Penn State wrestling is. There's so much talent in that room. You're going to get better because now Penn State is the destination place for wrestling. I mean, for anybody. You know, you want to get to the Olympics? The destination place is Penn State. Carolyn Keeger is hoping to make that for Penn State women's basketball. Jeff Tambroni is making that now for lacrosse. It's been a, I mean, Jeff's had to work very, very hard to get to this point. Very hard. I mean, people may not realize this is his ninth year there. Uh, he's been to the Final Four before. And uh, I asked Jeff at the end of you know, the interview I had with Jeff on Monday about how can you help your student athletes because they've never been, but you have. And there are ways you can do it, but they're all going to have to experience it. But there's going to be more media in Philadelphia than ever, more obligations than ever. Oh, and by the way, every single person on the planet that thinks they have met you along the way wants tickets. You have to be able to manage that. Yeah. I mean, the guy here in this building that doesn't know the difference between the ball and the stick... I mean, was always asking about tickets. Now, who might that have been? Yes. <laughs> you know, he was into lacrosse like that. No, he's just into, like, you know. Well, but he, he's just into, like, where, where's the success going? Can I be a part of it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you just hope that's going to be a great scene on Saturday because they're, they're, oh, they want to they declare a whiteout, so they've been wearing white jerseys the last bunch of games. And yeah. so just hope the alumni sector in Phillies is going to come out in droves. Uh, oh. and then for, then yeah, for Monday the white, for the final, they get yeah, there. Yeah, they wore the white jerseys on Sunday out in East Hartford. Yeah. I'll say this one side note on the East Hartford thing. When you look out the back, uh, I've never been in that state. I'd never even seen that stadium before. Really? Never. No, never have. Well, because when I'm getting out of there, I'm getting out of there. I'm like, <laughs> 91, 84, gone. I'm like, I'm, we're not there, like, you know, sightseeing. Hey, let's go over the same. No. <laughs> okay? So I'd never been there. But I look out the back, and, of course, it's built at the intersection of what used to be two runways for Pratt & Whitney aircraft. And it's called Pratt & Whitney uh, Stadium now. Well, I'm looking out the back of Pratt & Whitney. And that's where that's where my dad worked, right? You know, now until he started his own business, which Kevin has now. <laughs> but that's where he worked. He worked an experimental on the Boeing 747 engine there. I'm, you know, and I, mean, I have no idea. I'm only going by what my parents told me, but supposedly on Crosby Street, a couple streets away, that's where I, my first two years of my life I lived. And I'm looking at that, yeah, this is pretty neat. All right, let's go back to the game. <laughs> All right, we're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we'll come back with more in a moment. Uh, great to have the gang all here. And it's really cool that uh, Lawrence installed the lock so we can keep certain individuals out. Yep. Who now is, from what we understand, is running Danville and at this moment is personally trying to shovel out a rock slide yeah. to, get his, <laughs> to get his 
his borough back on track. I mean, you can't put a price on leadership like that. No, you can't, and thank goodness we don't. PennDOT won't take his calls. Huh? PennDOT won't take his calls. <laughs> Wise men at PennDOT. Put it this way. Okay, PennDOT has the same policy we do. <laughs> our News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet. Coors 30 packs, 1695. Coors 30 packs, 1695. Coors 30 packs, 1695. Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet. Coors 30 packs, 1695. Yeah, Brewers Outlet has Coors and Coors Light 30 packs for just 1695. Get it? We got it. Pickles, ice, cigars, lottery, and all your beverage and party needs are a one-stop shop at the Beverage Supermarket Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. The gang is all here today. Bob Buter's in the house. We're going to talk about the Phillies game in a, in a minute. And Sean's in the house. And because of Mark Lawrence putting a lock on the door, someone is not in the house, and, but they're in the building. Oh, change the locks on the front door. He was explaining to us. He says, and my butt is going to be right there in front of the TV on Sunday. All right. No, I mean, look, there are a lot of fans of CBS this morning. Uh, <laughs> you know, <it's laughs> Jane Polly, Sunday morning, big fan. Jane Polly, Sunday morning, love it. <laughs> <laughs> he loves watching cars go around in circles for some strange reason. Well, if you want, we can all get in ours and go around the parking lot a few times. Got to make him feel better. <laughs> get him warmed up. <laughs> Uh, yes, the biffer. All right, very. Uh, before we get to the Pirates here, and we'll get more into this in the next part of the show, but Bob brought up something interesting about last night's Phillies-Cubs game. Now, the Cubs win in their fifth walk-off this year, so they are actually number one in walk-offs this year. The Cubs had second and third. It was nobody out. Nobody right? out. Yeah, nobody out. Bottom right. of the ninth, down two to one. Now who's up? Is it Baez? Who's uh, up? Baez, Baez hit the game-winning single. No, before so, him, it was yeah. uh, two guys before him. Yes, yeah, so second yeah. and third. Yeah. My point is, who's up on with second and third? Was it Baez? I. Not no. There's there okay, was an first, out in between. First base is all. Yeah. Well, first, first base, base is open. open. All right. So why don't you? I mean, it's irrelevant as to somebody being on first base. It's, it, it's, it's completely irrelevant because one run wins, yeah. right? It's 2-2, two, two, right? No, it's 2-1. Two, 2-1. One. Two, one. So it's 2-1. Right, so you got second and third. The guy on first base is irrelevant to this. Yeah, he So he why don't you the walk score. them and at least create the possibility of a double play <laughs> to end the game? Exactly. I didn't understand it last night. Screaming at the TV. I you know, look. I understand. I don't know. Actually, I don't understand. You know the use of analytics in a situation like this. Well, I don't. You're trying to make the task. What's the best route to get out of this thing? Well, the best route to get out of it, because again, the person on first base is irrelevant to the winning and losing of the Absolutely game. Absolutely right. It's a uh, and 
I don't get that. That's just standard baseball operate. Now, I didn't watch it. But as to how you guys described it, I'm like, what? my first thing was, why didn't they walk somebody? And, and you know, um, it was just amazing that uh, in that situation, the crowd roaring in Wrigley Field, they uh, love that and relish the opportunity to get that walk-off win. And a ground ball gets a double play, either home and first or a second to first, whatever. And at worst case, a ground ball scores the tying runs, but you've now got two outs as opposed to none. Well, right. I, I, I'm, I'm at the Astros-Red Sox game on Saturday night, and the Red Sox had the bases loaded, and it was a ground to Bregman. He went home with it. Well, to force. Yep. Uh, I actually know it was the other way around. It was uh, actually it was uh, Rafael Devers went home with it, and with Christian Vasquez, and it was okay, that's how they got out of the inning. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the analytics card said, but that's you know. There's also common sense beyond analytics. Uh, scoreboard right now: Cincinnati leads the Brewers eight-six. Bottom of the sixth inning at Miller Park, and in Cleveland. The A's lead the Indians 7 to nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. Phillies and Cubs tonight at 8.05 on at 7.30. And, of course, your Pirates. Oh, please. Lost to Colorado last night 5 nothing. And yep. with that, we go to the ever-dependable, ever-reliable Chris Mack in Pittsburgh. Hello, Chris. How are you today? How are you doing, Steve? Doing really well. Uh... Another great attendance night at the ballpark. They went, they, they went seven of their last ten games, and nobody showed up last night. Yeah, it, it feels like we talk about this every spring, right? Like it's we sit and wait for school to end or for the weather to turn or both to happen, and then finally you hope that folks will start to show up. And um, that's that's what I keep keep waiting for. Um, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, you could blame it on it was a cloudy, drizzly day. You could blame it on it wasn't a NL Central rival. You could blame it on, like I said, school wasn't out yet. I could probably blame it on a million things, or you could just blame it on the fact that people still aren't sold on them until they, you know, this becomes a prolonged stretch or a prolonged run, which may or may not be fair to them, but um, I think it's, you know, that's, that's the fans' prerogative, and they're going to continue to hold out probably. All right, let's get to the Cervelli situation. The Pirates have had a lot of injuries. He got hurt again last night. What do we know about uh, Cervelli? Uh, I think they just called it a – I don't think they even gave an official report last night before everyone left the ballpark, so I imagine it'll be a chest contusion, something like that, uh, and we'll probably move on from there to I, – I would think they'd give him – with a day game tomorrow, they might give him a rest tonight and then see how he feels when he gets to the ballpark tomorrow morning. But, I mean, even if he's healthy enough to go, I think the bigger question around Cervelli is, is he ever going to, you know, is he ever going to wake up to this season? Um, because uh, while the production from both he and Diaz, uh, the catcher position as a whole, was the worst offensively in the majors, or at least in the National League through the first month, month and a half of the season, at the very least during this most recent road trip, 
be specifically the series in San Diego, Diaz started to hit the ball. So yeah. um, it's rapidly getting to the point where um, you've got to play the better guys. You know, that same question exists maybe at – well, it's, it's already been put in play at third base where Moran has gotten the bulk of the starts over Gung, who still has not snapped out of it. It's starting to come around at shortstop, it seems, where Kevin Newman may get uh, an increasing amount of time over Cole Tucker, even though Tucker's got a great glove. He's still hitting under 200. Uh, right. We may see it come to fruition in the outfield uh, when and if Corey Dickerson is healthy, that Reynolds and Cabrera will continue to push for playing time on other side of, on either side of Starling Marte with Polanco still being limited. I mean, they're, if they're going to remain in the quote-unquote hunt, and they, you know, mathematically they, they are, even if they're sure they are. You know, four, yeah. four and a half back in the division, uh, I mean, it's if they're going to remain in it and turn a seven and four road trip into something more substantial uh, and look to survive during the the absences of Tyone and Williams, they're just going to have to play the better offensive ball players. Uh, I want to ask you about Josh Bell. He is really, I mean, sometimes you can lean on a guy and he can carry you for a couple of weeks. Has he become that guy in the lineup that you think maybe you can lean on him for a couple of weeks here and there? I mean, it certainly seems like it. That's what the numbers bear out uh, over the course of the first seven weeks of the season. And if that if that continues, then that's one of those things that gives you hope that, again, they can survive the absences of Tyone and Williams and survive Archer failing to find himself over the course of the last month and survive maybe some bumps in, in the road with the bullpen or, you know, bumps in the road offensively with some ball players. If Josh Bell is able to do you know, even 75% of what he's done over the last two to four weeks, then he'll he'll be the kind of guy that, you know, is essentially carrying the team on his shoulders. I don't know if it's realistic to expect, you know, an 1,100 OPS all year, but that's what sure. he's done over the last month. Um, and, and, when you we, you know, it's, it's real easy to sort of cherry-pick the road trip and say, okay, those 11 games he did this, or even the past week because he was NL Player of the Week, but it really does go back beyond just, the past week or the past you know 12 games or whatever it may be it, it's really the majority of the season now bell has produced like this so uh, maybe that's maybe that's the, the the difference between the 19 pirates and say 18 or even 17 and that they have a guy who can offensively carry the team when there are so many struggles happening elsewhere well, he's averaging almost an RBI a game. He's on 160 mm-hmm. RBI pace right now. He's been dynamic. Uh, and I want to get into something that, because I was in Boston. I was at the Red Sox-Astros game at Fenway on Saturday. Okay. And uh, Garrett Cole pitched Friday night. And mm-hmm. Garrett Cole had a chance to talk with uh, some of the writers up there and with the broadcasters up there. And he was, they were talking about the fact he leads the majors in strikeouts. And he said, look, when I, they said, what, what's the difference? He said, in Pittsburgh, they wanted me to throw sinker sliders, I mean, two-seam stuff. He said, they would not let me throw a four-seam fastball. He said, they wanted as few pitches as possible. They did not want me to throw a four-seam fastball. I got to Houston. They looked at me, and they said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you throw a billion miles an hour. Throw your four-seam fastball. Well, Last year, of course, he had, what, 270 strikeouts. He already got 93 this year. Mm-hmm. Glasnow's also flourished away from Pittsburgh. All right? Is there some question in Pittsburgh now about how they approach their pitchers? I think had there not been some adjustments by Jamison Tyone 
in the second half last year had there not been um, some adjustments by Chris Archer in the final month of last season, even if it still hasn't borne fruit yet this season, um, there may be more questioning. And there are still some fans that say, hey, if you're going to give Ray Searage all this credit and Clint Hurdle and Neil Huntington by extension, all this credit for the reclamation projects they had over the years and guys like Burnett and Liriano and right. Tapp for the half season he was here, yeah. then by all means, very, you better, you, you better bury him for you know Cole and Glass now and now maybe perhaps in, in some ways for Archer coming over and struggling. And his last four games have certainly uh, been evidence that there's something going on with the swing and miss factor in his game. But I also think, again, I'm I'm still sort of, I don't want to say jury is out, but not totally decided on that because, like I said, Tyone last year, they let him do that. He went to them and said, listen, I, I, I think I can use this to my advantage. And they let him go up in the zone with a four-seamer. Um, they've let Musgrove do it on occasion. Yeah. Uh, Williams doesn't quite have the steam to pull it off, so they've been more conservative in, in letting him do it. And I think with Archer they've let him do for the most part after after tweaking a couple little things when he first came over maybe trying to add a little bit of a two-seam fastball in there they've more or less i think told him just try and get swing and miss you know try and try and get through uh five innings and and maybe archer is a is a case study of why their system does work sometimes because how often have we seen archer last night included leave a ball game after just five innings and he's up around 95 100 pitches so Um, I I would be more adamant about going down that path of of the Cole Glass now criticisms if it weren't for the fact that I I had seen some growth in that regard from guys like Tyone and Musgrove in the second half of last season. But I will say, I mean, it's, it's definitely something to continue to watch. Which then brings me to the other part. Obviously, the, the Pirates were here in State College for six years. Mm-hmm. They had a conservative approach on pitch counts, very conservative. Yet their guys are still going on the IL. Okay, used to be the DL, but are still going right. on the IL. Williams is there now. Tyone's there now. Hey, to me, that all that also brings up some questions about you know, like as to what work works and what's not working. I mean, I don't think I don't care what they do. They're still getting guys hurt. Yeah, and I, I, there was a. It wasn't a very scientific study, but Gene Collier, who I know you know uh, of the Post-Gazette, wrote a really interesting column this past Sunday for the Post-Gazette about uh, just the number of guys that are on the IL, not just in Pittsburgh, but Williams and Tyone were sort of the jumping-off point for it and all the other injuries they've experienced early this year. The number of guys on the IL across the major leagues. Now, part of that is a byproduct of it's no longer a 15-day DL. It's a 10-day injured list. So you can... can, Teams are much more aggressive uh, in a positive way and putting guys on the list and saying, hey, get better. You're only going to miss a week and a half rather than two-plus weeks. Um, but I also do think that there is something to, to look at. I, this is the one thing I, I would take away from what I, I noticed this year with their pitching, and that was that a lot of their starting pitchers especially didn't start out um, – in games in spring training they started out pitching side sessions and bullpens and that's i understand most pitchers do that but when game action had already started guys were still throwing on the backfields at pirate city or throwing live bullpens or live bps rather than game action i don't know if there's a correlation or a connection there 
or if that just happens to be coincidence. But I do think it's something worth watching, and I do think when a team has 20 guys on the injured list, whether through some some of them are through freak accidents like Marte and Gonzalez colliding in center field or not, it, it's still something to keep an eye on and, and something that, to be quite honest, they don't have the depth, uh, guys 26 through 40 in the organization, uh, to sustain it for a long period of time. They're a team that has to be, I think, more more preventative than many others in Major League Baseball and can't really embrace uh, the idea of throwing guys on the 10-day on the day. Uh, like teams like the Dodgers can because they they have such starting pitching depth. So it's something to another thing to kind of keep an eye on as we think, okay, is this team as we're coming to terms over the first third of the season with, is this a good team who's just been hit by a lot of injuries or is this a team that's really not that good, but has fought to keep their head above water due to the efforts of one or two guys here and there. Uh, It's one of those things to kind of add into the mix when you're trying to decide what, what team is this? Well, I give him credit. I, I I actually do think the Pirates are a good team. They are not a great team, but they're right. a good they're a good team, and they've shown I think better depth because of all the injuries. I think that some people realize the Reynolds kid has stepped in and he's he's helped. He's played oh, he's well. I mean, yeah. it, 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 so they've had some guys that have been able to step in. I think that's been big, and the fact that you know a Colin Moran has become better. Even though I think he gives almost up almost as many runs as he produces, but still, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, but I think to this point, they've done more than hanging. They've been good. Yeah, and uh, and now the the schedule kind of picks up a notch. You know, you get the Dodgers yeah, this that's weekend. Fine. You you get you know there's the Brewers and the Braves on the horizon for a two week stretch. You get into late June and around the All Star break, and you start to see stretches with. Dodgers, Cubs, and Cardinals, oh my, and you, you go, okay, well, if you can get healthy before then, maybe you got a chance, you know, or if a Josh Bell can continue to roll the way he he has, then uh, maybe you got a chance to stay in this thing. Right, exactly. Well, look, yeah, does the schedule even out in that way? Sure, but guess what? If, you know, to me, I also have another theory on that that's very simple, that uh, – weren't the Pirates the one people expected to quote beat up on as part of their schedule the Pirates are doing that to you so that you know that tells me how, sure. actually how good they are so it's yeah and, and you could you could look at their schedule yep. too Steve and, and you could say alright what, what would this team be if it weren't for the the one in six that they are against Arizona for example right. you know right. exactly. I, I mean so th- there's lots of ways you can sort of split things and slice and dice the data at this point I think the question really over the next two to three weeks or maybe over the course of the next month is does bell continue to hit uh do they have guys continue to show up in support of him in the lineup like cabrera like reynolds uh, and then do they also get somebody to step up in the rotation can chris archer turn things back around can musgrove and lyles continue to pitch the way they have if all that comes together then hey there's nothing saying they can't be right where they are right now come the all-star break or even late july and be four or five games out and right in the thick of things absolutely Chris, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. Oh, absolutely, Steve. Always great. Chris Mack joining us from Pittsburgh. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. So the 2021 NFL Draft is going to Cleveland. And the 2023 draft is going to be in Kansas City. They haven't picked the 2022 location yet. Uh, could be Danville based on the uh, government there. Yes, uh, and the landslides or rock slides and mud slides that are, what's the word, um, cutting off Danville from actually the rest of civilization. Yeah, if they were to host um, the draft, yeah, that part of it. That... On. Uh, <laughs> Your travel plans, uh, whether Route 11 north uh, from Northumberland to Danville is still closed by a rock slide. I'm taking 15 to 80. Yeah. Can't go wrong that way. Yeah. Oh, no, I can, but But it starts at 7.30. I can just see it 7.15, panic setting in. You know, Steve, I'm no longer the district attorney, so you're going to have to keep it at least at the speed limit. I can't get you off anymore like those several instances in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just so so everybody knows, that never did happen. Uh, We're getting the untold story here. I I also know that, uh, for example, say I were, were to speed through Danville. I know somebody who runs the government there that would triple the fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then treat you to a round of golf. Uh, Oh, yeah. How about that one today? Yeah. He wanted to know if if you and I wanted to go out and play golf with him today. Where have you been? Now, we're leading up to the Purdy tournament, and he doesn't play at all. Right, and then he's out there, you know, like like Larry the lumberjack cutting down trees left and right on every shot. <laughs> I can't understand why it's happening. No, <laughs> right now today, he'd like to go play golf. Really? I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> the Purdy tournament is 50 weeks away. He's just warming up. He can warm up all you want. He's still going to go all over the place. <laughs> Larry the Lumberjack doesn't change, even with some practice. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. 